Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. The tennis world is in, well, shock. And shock is an understatement because when we started the week, Taylor Fritz and Igish Fiontek were the Indian Wells champions and we thought, what a great week for the young tennis players of the world. And then... A young world number one calls time on her career. Ash Barty has announced her shock retirement from professional tennis in an Instagram interview with Casey Delacroix, and it took all of us by surprise. And we're here to discuss all of that on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me, he's back. The property mogul is back. He's bought himself a place, and he's been moving in. He's been painting. He's been cleaning. He's been doing everything under the sun um, to try and get this place ready to go. And Joel Frucci does join me. Joel, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, Val. Tired, very you would, tired. You um, would be. Yeah, you're right. I have been been busy, been moving, and uh, also started a a new job. So there's been a lot going on. Um, but uh, yeah, ready to chat a bit about tennis. It's nice, nice, uh, nice reliever. Even though I guess the uh, the thing that we're going to be spending most of our time on today isn't necessarily the best news story or the thing that we were hoping to hear about this week. But nevertheless, we get to talk about it. Exactly right. And and I think the the one thing that and I'm still so speechless at the story that Ash Barty has announced her retirement because Australia, you know, we finally get a tennis player that everybody loves and looks up to. And yeah. there wasn't one person who disliked Ash Barty. And, you know, Leighton had people who disliked him and we know Kyrgios, we know Bernie. Um, but Ash was the late, she's the one that's that's been the linchpin and, People like it, it, I guess in the past five or six years at the top anyway, because every most people love Sam Stozer and so on. But like she's just so good in every way, and she was ours. She was an Australian, and she was doing so well. She was looking unbeatable. I pretty much lined her up for the Calendar Slam after the AO because I said nobody was going to beat her, and all of a sudden I get a message from someone saying Ash Barty, wow, and I'm like. Oh no! What's happened? What's happened? She's injured, <laughs> isn't she? And then I see that she's retired, and I was like, "What the?" It's probably you can't say it on air. That's the, the language I was going to use, but it's yeah. insane. And twenty-five years old, and she retires at world number one. Um, she's won uh, fifteen career singles titles, earned twenty-three million eight hundred and twenty-nine thousand and seventy-one dollars. Ends her career with a three hundred and five win. Uh, 305 wins, 102 losses, and she goes out on top. Two titles, 11 wins, zero losses in 2022, and the runaway world number one. She'll she's erratic. She said that she wants to be taken out of the rankings, um, effective immediately, so her points won't drop off. She'll just be taken out. So there will be a new world number one after Miami. But Joel, what were your first thoughts? Because I remember our message exchange, and it was all capitals. <laughs> it was all capitals. Yeah, I was, I was actually moving furniture at the time and didn't see it for a, for a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I think my immediate reaction was just, huh, mm-hmm. really? Wow. Yeah, but that that was pretty much my reaction. But I guess when it sunk in a little bit, I probably wasn't, maybe not as surprised given Ash's history with. Um, well, not so much calling time as it was then, but certainly taking an extended time away from from tennis um, in her earlier days. But yeah, nevertheless, I was I was surprised to to actually see it, and then to jump on Twitter and Instagram and stuff and watch her interview with uh, with a good a good friend Casey Delacroix, tennis mum, 
Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, and then I guess the surprise kind of, you know, it turned to a, a bit of a mixture of emotions, I think for me, Val. Um, you know, firstly, I was, was sad because I, I want to see more Ash Barty because she's just so likable and she's been so dominant, in, particularly in the last year or so um, on the WTA. And um, you know, speaking as Australian tennis people, um, you know, she flies that flag just um, so wonderfully. Uh, so from that respect, it was uh, very, very sad to, to hear about. But, um, you know, I guess you've got to admire as well the bravery of Ash to actually go and make that call. And yeah. again, um, you know, her her ability to come out and say that she needed time away, we already, we already know that she can make these decisions. Um, but, yeah, to make such a such a big call at this point of her career really coming into her prime at 25 uh yeah took some guts took some guts um but yeah there's really no reason to i suppose doubt anything that ash put forward as to her reasons why um she's calling it a day and she's going out on top she's going out on the back of an australian open win and that's the one that she wanted um yeah, you know, it is disappointing, as you say, that she she can't close out the the career slam and and go and chase down a, a US Open. But um, uh, look, there's I don't think there's any doubt that the legacy that she's going to leave behind is one of uh, one of success, one of uh, a real a real rapport, I think, with Australian people because people connected with her. I think people feel like. You know, she's one of us. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought really, and I don't know, if, I'm sure you'll probably share this this view as well, but I've always really thought that, you know, when I think about about tennis, it's quite a, it's quite an individualistic sport, right? Um, yeah, that, that just never quite matched up to what Ash is. She's so selfless and team motivated. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's, it was just a, a real whirlwind of, of a day and a, a lot to take in, but um, look, she's going to leave behind a, a wonderful legacy and uh, all we can really do is, um, is wish her all the best. She's, she said she's achieved what she wanted to and, and she's moving on now. So I guess um, that's all we can, we can really do is, uh, is, is take it on board. And um, yeah, unfortunately we've got to let her go. Yeah, and it is unfortunately. And look, I shared, I think, the, the same sentiments as you. I was, uh, first off, just gutted that we weren't going to see Ash Barty play tennis again because she is so damn good to watch. But again, happy for her in the same sense that, you know what? You're not following what mainstream society wants you to follow. They, don't, they want you to keep going and break records and do this and do that. But you're doing your yeah. own thing. And that's always been the thing with Ash. In 2020, when the tours went back after lockdown, did Ash go? No, she stayed home. She stayed home. She stayed um, in Queensland. She watched Richmond win a flag, presented the cup, um, <laughs> and then uh, played the start of 2021, went around for a lot of the year, had a couple of injury problems. She won Wimbledon, stayed at number one. And then after the US Open, that was it. She called time on the season and said, I want to focus on the AO. That's what she did. She went out. She prepared for it with her team. And she won the AO. She won Adelaide. She only dropped a set throughout the entire 11 matches that she played to Coco Golf, And it was it was quite stunning. And I think to be able to go out on a performance like that, and especially the last set of tennis that Ash Barty played, she was down 5-2 against Danielle Collins 
in oh. the in the final of the second set of the Australian Open. Uh, sorry, in the second set of the final of the Australian Open, and she won it in a tiebreak. And that's how. how fitting. Ash- I mean, that was everything that she's about. Everything. Yep. Grinding, finding a way, positivity, and just the raw emotion. I think that the way she celebrated that win, it was her Wimbledon and French Open wins had been quite reserved in a, in a way, but this was just that scream at the end, and and we saw Ash really show the emotion and, and the raw emotion of winning a Grand Slam title, and and that's that's the last action of her on a court, hoisting the Australian Open trophy and doing a lap of honor and. Look, there's no better way. Pete Sampras went out doing the same thing, winning his 14th. But I, I think it's it's now a question of, geez, what could she have been? What could Ash Barty have, have been in, in tennis? And um, as I said before, I was one that, that pretty much came out and said she could win the calendar slam this year because of how well she was playing. And I stand by my – I think I've said it to you privately. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but – yeah. I stand by my comments that Ash Barty would have been a, a double-figure Grand Slam titleist. She would have at least surpassed Absolutely. 10. Absolutely. With the way that she was going about her business and the way she was playing and just the freeness and the lack of pressure that she seemed to be under, she was so quick to dispatch most of her opponents at the AO. It was scary good. And can you imagine if... And Rob Koenig actually tweeted this uh, during the week. He likens it to what if Roger Federer retired at 25? And I see that a lot about Ash because I did I had the I was saying that the way she plays reminds me a lot of Roger Federer with the movement, the gracefulness on court and how how easily she seems to move and how well she's and how much she's worked on it. She's just a wonderful exponent of tennis. She's a wonderful exponent of what this country can produce and um tennis will be much worse off without having Ash Barty in it, but my God, she's been, it's just been a wonderful ride. But as you did say, kind of, it wasn't completely, completely, completely unexpected. She has called time before and she did make jokes about that in her press conference. But this is the second time she's called time. Do you think that's it now, Joel? Is that, that that's the pin in it? She's done, it's over? Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I said before, like there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't believe everything that she said in that interview and that this time she is done for good. But, you know, we've seen from athletes and even as recently as Tom Brady, like he's, he's, he's coming back into the NFL, like anything can happen. Um, With, with Ash though, I don't know. I kind of feel it's a little different, Um, you know, particularly with where she's at as well, behind the scenes away from tennis in her personal life, like she's engaged and you'd have to think that, um, you know, maybe starting a family is on her horizon. And, yep. you know, that's not really, unfortunately, not really, um, you know, uh, something that you can have tennis around for, I suppose. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think with those two things in mind in particular, um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure that we'll see her back this time. Um, I just really hope that um, she's not completely lost to tennis and i've got no doubt that she'll have already have a host of offers uh coming across her her management for for media um for you know guest appearances uh guest speaking you name it really maybe coaching down the track mm-hmm. who knows All like, of I, it. i'm not sure if that's i'm not sure if that's something that um that ash wants to pursue but i have no doubt that 
she would be amazing at that. Absolutely amazing at that. So hopefully that is something that, you know, maybe she thinks about in the future. But from a playing point of view, I'm, I'm not so sure we'll, we'll see her again this time. Yeah, I agree. I don't think she's coming back to tennis. And we've seen a lot of comebacks. We've seen people come out of retirement to play tennis. Justine Enner, Kim Kleisters, um, and a few others have come out of retirement to play. But I don't think it's happening with Ash. I just think you said she's different in that way. This is already her second retirement. She went and played cricket. Um, felt as though there was something left unfinished with tennis and she's come back and she's achieved what she wanted to achieve, finishes at world number one. No better way to put the put the stamp on the career than that. And then you look at all the other memes and things that you've seen. And one thing I really want her to do, Joel, and this is maybe a bit of bias because I do, I do work at Bowls Australia as well, but I want uh. her to take up lawn bowls. I want this to happen. So, Ash, if you she are said listening... She saw that post, actually. Pardon? She said she saw that post, yep. actually. There was a meme of her uh, in a lawn bowls outfit. And uh, and look, Ash, if you want to, by all means, take it up. There's a lot of bowls in Queensland. So um be good to see Ash Barty on, uh, on, some, on some beautiful, pristine bowling greens up there. So who knows? Who knows? It'd be good to see anyways. Um, and that's just my biased opinion because I, I do enjoy that sport <laughs> as well. But um, no, it's it's been a wonderful career. And the opportunities now for... For all the other players in in the WTA rankings, because Ash Barty's, well, she's out of it now, and Igish Fiontek is the world number two. So if she does well in Miami, that means there's a possibility for her to continue on and, and push on for this number one spot. Um, the, the, the women's rankings have changed so much. We've got Maria Sarkari at number three. Barbara Krajikova was at two. Now she's down to four. Arena Sabalenka was at two at the start of the year. She's down to five. Paula Bedosa, she's six. Annette Contivate was as high as five a couple of weeks ago. So there's so many players now that can take over this mantle of number one in the world. And uh, who's your favorite to do it, Joel? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one. And I think um, that's kind of one of the subplots of, uh, of Ash bowing out. I think there's... There's really no clear standout for me, and I suppose that's one of the one of the great things about the the WTA at the moment um, is uh, there's so many so many women that could really make a make a push um, for that top spot. But I, I think I think at the moment you've you can't really look past at least for me anyway. You can't really go past Igish Fiontek, yeah. Um, just because of the couple of, of years that she's had. And, uh, you know, especially after win- winning Roland Garros, she hasn't really dropped off at all. Um, and you know, obviously she hasn't, you know, hasn't gone and won another Grand Slam yet, but um, she's still looking very good. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly right. And and I've got the scenarios here for you. So the ranking, the rankings at the WTA, Sviontek will claim world number one if she wins her opening match against Victoria Golubic of Switzerland. Well, that's all she has to do. If uh, Sviontek loses her opening match, then Paula Bedosa would have to win the title in order to climb to world number one. If Bedosa loses her opening match, then Iga Sviontek is number one either way. So they're the scenarios. They're the only two players that can do it. Bedosa could jump possibly if Sviontek loses tomorrow and Bedosa wins the title she could jump five spots from six to one in the world. And that would be a meteoric rise considering where she's come from. So um, Ash Barty's um, absence from uh, from the rankings is going to create so many more opportunities. And I reckon, you know, a lot of players have said that, you know, they're sad to see her go, but there's also probably that feeling of, oh, yes. Oh, yes, there is a big chance for me here. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. And, and it just, again, makes things so much more open because the top 10 after this week, or well, at the moment, would sit as Sviontek, Sakari, Krejcikova, Sabalenka, Badosa, Kontaveit, Pliskova, Muguruza, Jabor, and Danielle Collins. So, and then you have Ostapenko at number 12, Radikanu at 13, Pavlachenkova at 14, Kerber at 15. It is such a stacked field on the women's side, and it just makes it more exciting because at the moment, but Barty, for me, was going to win everything. Mm. And I was so dead set on that, and now I can be really dead set on that because she's not going to, so you can't say she wouldn't have. Um, so I don't know. That's where I'm going from anyway. But, yeah, it's... It's it's a very sad week for tennis, but um yeah like lasting lasting legacy. What's your moment for at what what's your most memorable Ash Barty moment gonna be, Joel? Yeah, it's a tough question, Val. There's a few of them. Um, you know, you think back to her her first Slam win, um, and even before then, um, that semi final against um, uh, uh, escapes Anasimova. Yeah, Amanda Anasimova. That's right. Um. Brilliant match of tennis. Um, and yeah, I think that was really the, not so much the first time, but, you know, it was really sort of set in stone that, uh, you know, this is a, this is a, a, this is someone that Australia can be proud of. Um, that was a fantastic performance by Ash and she ended up getting it done um, in the final as well against Marketa von Drusova. Um, but, and then of course, Wimbledon, um, amazing moment. Um, Ash's dream. But look, it's it's hard to look past this year winning the Australian Open um, and that that tiebreaker in that second set against Danielle Collins. What a fight! And we were watching that together, Val, and yeah. that was just that was that was a special night. That was absolutely fantastic. And when Yvonne Gulagon Corley walked out onto Rod Laver Arena, oh. <laughs> and to the shock and surprise of everyone in attendance and everyone viewing at home, there was not one dry eye in Australia and around the world. It was it was just brilliant. And Ash Barty, you have just been such a wonderful, wonderful person for tennis and a wonderful person for this country, a wonderful role model for both indigenous um indigenous kids and indigenous people alike. Um and and a wonderful role model just as Ash. And yeah, her legacy will live forever amongst Australian tennis fans and amongst the future generations because everybody will be like, well, remember Ash Barty or she'll, she'll go down in the history books. She will go down yeah. in the history books. And Ash Barty, well done to you. You deserve to put your feet up and just absolutely relax because it's been a pretty hectic few years for you. But, yeah, amazing career. And, um, yeah, it's it's very sad. But just all we can do is is be proud of what, she's achieved because she's done so much for tennis in this country. Plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast. We're going to talk and cast our eye over what happened in the desert at Indian Wells and look forward to the Miami Open. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you talking you through a wonderful couple of weeks that it's been in tennis. Well, not the last few days because Ash retired and that's been pretty crappy. But other than that, we had some pretty good damn tennis or damn good tennis, Joel, in the uh, in the desert at Indian Wells. And 
Jeez, Rafa finally toppled by Taylor Fritz in the final. 6-3, 7-6. Fritz becoming the fourth consecutive Indian Welsh champion to win his maiden Masters 1000 at that event. So he had Del Potro 2018, Team 2019, Cam Norrie 2021, and now Taylor Fritz in 2022. But I remember the text I was doing, I was in a meeting on Monday morning and I got a text from you <laughs> and said, Tay-Tay beat Rafa. And I was like, no, 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 surely no, Rafa's... <laughs> been able to throw or to withstand every single challenge that's been thrown at him. And Taylor Fritz had had some long matches through this tournament. It was a, there was a, a seven, six in the third, two in a row. One of those was against Alex Demon or in the fourth round. Uh, Demon actually had a break in that third set. Couldn't get the job done, but um, uh, Rafa, they both honestly had injury concerns and, um, and Fritz was the one that won the battle of attrition in the end and won a maiden masters 1000 title. And, it's just, it's a wonderful thing, I guess, for American tennis to see that, you know, one of their players is finally maybe starting to creep up. We had Jack Sock win a Masters event. We had John Isner win a Masters event in 17 and 18. Uh, Sock won in Paris, Isner won Miami, and both have been inside the top 10. But Isner's really been the only one to sustain it from an American point of view for the last 10 years or something, really, since Roddick retired. You know, they've come up, but they've just never stayed there. And... Yeah. I think Taylor Fritz's win might just be the catalyst for the American for the American tennis fans and American men's tennis to really take um, take well the ATP by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly, and it's um, you know it's it's kind of incredible that that's actually needed because American tennis just constantly churns out top end talent. Um, it does. But look, it was yeah, but look, it was. It was nice to see Taylor Fritz get the get the job done. It kind of looked like no one was going to beat Rafa. Um, no, uh, you know, once he got past Carlos Alcaraz, um, which, by the way, what a what a match! We Just will insane. get we will get to that. We will get to yeah. that. Don't and you it, worry. Yeah, and even before then, I got to got to say Rafa's match with Nick Kyrgios was was brilliant. It was a great watch. Um, but yeah, it looked like no one was going to beat Rafa. Mm. Um, so to actually see that Taylor Fritz got the better of him was. A bit of a surprise, but you know, um, you always enjoy kind of seeing these guys break through for, um, in this case, a, a maiden one thousand. So, yeah, um, that was good to see. And I, but I guess really, like, if we hark back to the Australian Open and we watch Taylor Fritz go up against Stefanos Tsitsipas, is this, I guess, just another example of um, another another one of these guys in that kind of that that. I don't know if you, if we really put Taylor Fritz in the in the next gen category, but you know that kind of well, he used he player, used to be, he used to be, yeah, and now that, he's that type of, yeah, yeah, that type of player is sort of just sitting in and around the top ten, um, you know, just being able to get the job done in uh, over three, but not in five. So I guess yeah. that's really the next big thing uh, for Taylor Fritz, but. A great win for him. And he's beaten Rafa. And, and look, Rafa had an epic against Sebastian Corder in round one where he should have lost, or in round two. He should have lost that match. Corder, Corder bottled it, to say the least. Then there was yeah. the match against Riley Apelka. Apelka had chances in that one as well, was up a break in the second. Then there was the match against Nick Kyrgios, who also had chances. And then the match against Carlos Alcaraz, because that, that match was just, honestly, it was just unbelievable. And I will get to it. I just want to go harp back to the American point. I keep going off because I get excited about Alcaraz. But America have now 12 men inside the men's top, inside the ATP top 100. 
12, Joel. Only one of those is over 30, and that's John Isner. He's 36. But that serve is going to continue to win him matches for another five years. So I've got no problems with him staying there. But Fritz at 13, 24 years old. Apelka at 18, enjoying a very solid year, 24 years old. John Isner at 36 at 22 in the world. Number 31 in the world, Francis Tiafo, 24 years old. 37 in the world, Tommy Paul, 24 years old. Recording some good wins as well. He beat Alexander Zverev in Indian Wells. Then you get to these two men. Sebastian Corder, 38 in the world, 21 years old. Then Jensen Brooksby, 21 years old, 39th in the world. That's all in the top 50. That's seven in the top 50, Joel. Seven. Um, Scary. And we'll get to Brooksby a bit later because there was a bit of controversy about him in Miami. Then you've got Marcus Giron, Marcos Giron, 52 in the world at 28. Mackenzie McDonald, 26 years old at 54 in the world. Another one, Maxim Cressy, 24 years old. Enjoyed a great Australian summer. Was phenomenal. Fourth round at the AO and final at the Melbourne Somerset. He had a great start to the year. Then you've got 20-year-old Brendan Nakashima. Took a set of Matteo Berrettini at the Australian Open. He's going to be a good player. And then Dennis Kudler. Uh, at 29 years old, he's been around for a while, but up 18 spots to 84th. So it's just, at the moment, the Americans have just got something good going. And you've still got the likes of Steve Johnson, Sam Querrey, and Jack Sock coming back with Tennis Sandgren, who we know has made two Grand Slam quarterfinals. So the American stocks at the moment, they are back. They are rising. Um, so it's a really mm. solid win for Taylor Fritz, and I'm really impressed with what he was able to put together to take down Nadal especially because Rafa was just in such good form and the way he was going about his business. He's back up to world number three now. Um, he hadn't lost all season. Nobody could beat him. He's 20, He was 20-0 and zero with three titles already to his name this year. So the fact that he was able to get him was so impressive. But now let's talk about Rafa and Alcaraz. Because this one, <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. The, Alcaraz, the master and the apprentice. Oh, it really was. And the way they were both playing, and the first two sets, and I was sending you footage, because um, I think you were moving at the time, so you didn't have a chance to watch it properly. But the wind was just pushing everything around the court. Every The rubbish was coming on. The net post was falling um, falling repeatedly. And then you've got their, their shots. The balls are actually bouncing at angles like Nathan Lyon or Shane Warne were putting spin on them because it was just, it was so, like the, the wind was so strong in the desert. And then all of a sudden in the third set, Alcaraz manages to win the battle of attrition in the second, take it to a third, and then the wind just died off. And all of a sudden, they're hitting the ball like freight trains. It was just <laughs> amazing to watch. And it was it was so good. Alcaraz was just very stiff in a couple of points. I've never seen Rafa volley so well in in consecutive points. He was just he came into the net. Alcaraz had him on toast, and then Rafa was able to find this backhand volley that that won him the point. And then it happened again later on. He held serve, broke Alcaraz in the next game, and then that was it. Rafa was into the final. But if that's not an indication that Carlos Alcaraz will be, and he's already near, I think he's already near the top ten now. And let's have a look at what the, the rankings say. I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's very, very close um, because he will be, and he's up to, where are we? He's up to 16 in the world now. He will be in the top 10 by the end of the year. I've got absolutely no doubts that he will be thereabouts. And he might even win a slam this year. I'm not prepared to rule it out. Huge call. 
I'm not prepared to rule that out. Joel, he's he's unbelievable. It's like watching Rafa. I've got I just can't stop talking highly enough about this kid. He's just so good. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my two cents. I'm exhausted talking about it to be honest because I'm that hyped <laughs> up. Um, it's Friday night. I'm exhausted after a long week of work, and yeah, and um, and yeah, it's just yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. The women's draw, of course, was won by Iga Swiatek. Joel, um, she got over Maria Sakari in the final. It was a bit of a lackluster. Only one three set match throughout the in the quarters, the semis, and the final put together. So only one, and and usually we see a lot more of those, don't we? Yeah, yeah, that's. Mm. Bit interesting, yes. Yeah. So it was uh, Sviontek, and sorry, not Sviontek. It was uh, between Bedosa, the defending champ, and Maria Sakari. Sakari getting that one done, six-one in the third, and uh, couldn't win in the final. But um, she gets herself up to world number three, so she's looking pretty good. Joel, we'll move on to Miami, and um, Daniel Medvedev has a chance to get the world number one ranking back. He lost it last week after losing to Gal Monfils in uh, Indian Wells in the third round there. But the draw for Miami is really interesting because uh, it's Medvedev v. Murray in the second round. And that's something I'm really excited about. And this is someone that's been there and done that. He's He's been such a wonderful, wonderful custodian of this sport. But, um, but Daniel Medvedev is in some good form and he's trying to work his way through the slower speeds of the courts at Indian Wells and Miami. He loves the later end of the year at Cincinnati, Washington, Canada, and America and the US Open where the courts are a bit quicker. So here he struggles a little bit. But Andy Murray, good win over Federico Delbonis today. Um, but Medvedev's draw, he'll have uh, Dan Evans in his section, Hubert Hercash. Um, Stefano Tsitsipas as well, which would be a rematch of the AO semi, which would be very interesting considering all the drama that happened that night. And then Felix Auger-Aliassime there as well with Carlos Alcaraz in that section of the draw. So he could meet Medvedev in a semi and screw it, I'm backing him to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I just love this kid and I love the way he goes about it. So, but Mm. Yeah, Medvedev to try and get the number one ranking back. But one thing I want to ask you about, and, and we watched this um, before we went on, Jensen Brooksby. Now, in his win today, and who did he beat? I'm trying to look this up. He defeated uh, Federico Coria, um, 3-6, 6-2, 6-3. Now, in this match, he threw his racket back after missing a shot, and he threw it towards the back fence, and it ricocheted, bounced off the ground, was very close to hitting a li- a ball a ball I think it would look like a ball man really like the Kramer <laughs> ball person yeah ball person um very close to hitting them they got out of the way but the racket ended up resting on their shoe now look he didn't get disqualified Federico Coria was pretty adamant that he should have been disqualified um and a lot of people have said that yes he should be disqualified I've watched it a few times, and at first I was like, that's very cut and dry. Yes, he should have been disqualified. But I've seen different angles of it, and it's a little bit different. And it's kind of, those angles are swaying me a little bit, but I think the act in itself, if we want to stamp that out, I think if it gets anywhere near or if it touches a line judge or ball kid, ball person, umpire they have to be disqualified. I I think we're heading in that way because we can't have people in the crowd fearing for their lives. Like Nick Kyrgios, what he did when he threw the racket and, and, and hit someone and, or got close to hitting a ball kid last week. 
this stuff needs to be stamped out because it's not a good look. Alexander Zverev was allowed to play in Indian Wells for God's sake. So the ATP is not strong enough on this. So I'd like to get your thoughts because it's 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 a very precarious situation in where the ATP finds itself because the universe keeps throwing up these learnings to the board and to the rule makers and to Andrea Guardenzi, but they seem to keep making the wrong decisions at all the at, at, on all these occasions. Yeah. Um, look, you know what, Val. I think he's a very lucky boy, Jensen Brooks. He's a very, very oh, yeah. lucky boy. That I mean, for me, as soon as I saw that, I thought instant default. He's very lucky. Um, it's yeah, it's very, very fortunate that that ball that that ball person um, was was not seriously hurt because that could have been disastrous yep. really um, and, and he should consider himself very lucky that he was allowed to continue and Brooksby did go and apologize to the ball person if you go on Jensen Brooksby's social media play- pages there's um, footage of him talking to the ball person and um, and he's very um, very apologetic and he and uh, the man is is really receptive um, was patting him on the shoulder and said look don't worry about it it's fine seriously don't stress it's you know these things happen but that's beside the point. You can't I don't, just. It didn't need to happen, though. Yes, exactly. You can't keep apologising for these situations because of an act of aggression, which you didn't need to do. Jordan Thompson today against Shel Wilfried Songer smacked a ball into the crowd, and the ball the ball girl was ducking, trying to get out of the way, and she wasn't sure where it was going to go because it was hit so violently. So, I think there's got to be a line drawn now where we need to come up with a law. And Novak Djokovic is probably sitting there going, well, hang on, if if Brooksby can throw a racket yeah, well, back exactly. or, or Zverev can hit an umpire's chair and be allowed to play the next week, um, you know, why was I disqualified from the US Open? So all of these issues need to result in a disqualification. Remember what David Nelbandian did at Queens in 2013 when he kicked the yeah. um, when he kicked the chair and then the linesman yeah. the linesman uh, their leg was cut. You got to be defaulted. Yeah, for that. I think. Yeah, look, I, th- I think. I think when it comes to that sort of incident, um, it, it just has to be a one size fits all thing. Mm. Um, yeah, z- zero tolerance. Um, yeah, it can't happen. You, what we we can't have you know, ball boys, well, you know, ball girls, ball boys, uh, lines people, if they're there, umpires, volunteers, player aggression. They can't be in the firing line. It just it's just not on. Yeah, no, exactly right. And they got to be protected on court. If they got to be, you know, we, we can't abuse them verbally and we can't abuse them physically either because, yeah. you know, it's a health and safety issue. It is 100% clear cut a health and safety issue. If a player throws a racket and it hits someone, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter who you are, you got to be defaulted for it 100%. So Jensen Brooksby, very, very, very lucky man. But looking at the draw, Joel, what do you reckon? Who wins? Uh, who wins the men's draw? And then I'll get your uh, women's prediction as well. Yeah. So I don't know. I think this is a bit of an open one on the men's side, um, and it's pretty exciting. So I'm actually going to go with Carlos Alcaraz in the final against Nick Kyrgios. Really? Yep. And really? I think Carlos will win. Yeah. So hang on, let me. I've got to check the draws first. Hang on, because they might be in the same side. Oh no, they're not. Oh, Kyrgios Rublev tomorrow morning though. So this one is that's that's one that I'm very keen for. I uh, I, I think I think Nick's going to beat Andre. Like I, I know he's won a title this year, but I don't think overall he's had the best year. Well, he went back to back. He went back to back in um 
Dubai, Marseille and Dubai. And he's in good form. He was uh, he lost to Fritz in um, in Indian Wells, made the semis. He's in a very very rich rich vein of form. So I think Andre might get the job done, but it'll be close because Kyrgios is in some solid form himself. But I do echo your uh, thoughts on Carlos Alcaraz. I think I think he's going to be in the final. I reckon he's going to win it. I've got him winning the whole thing. I think Medvedev will get to the semis, get his number one ranking back. Alcaraz will beat him, and I reckon John Isner always plays well in Miami. Always. Yeah. Every single time. So I reckon John Isner's going to get the job uh, done and make a final as well. Somehow, some way, he'll get there. So that's my final. What about the women's show? Who have you got there? Yeah, I'm I'm still having a bit of a think about the the women's side because I think it's a, a lot harder to pick. Do you want me to give um, do you want me to the... give mine? Because a lot of a lot of women a lot of seeds have gone out here. Like we've yeah, got Yeah, look, no, I'm 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 thinking I'm thinking uh Igish Fiontech might win it mm-hmm. and she'll knock off Belinda Bencic in the final. Yep. I've got, uh, I've got Bedosa winning and I think it's going to be, I reckon, uh, I reckon the Danimal might get through. Dan- Danielle Collins. I reckon she might get through to the final there as well. She's got a pretty good draw. It's either her or Jabur or uh, Anjabur or Belinda Bencic. I think those three are the ones that, that are going to be the ones to be. But Daria Saville enjoying such a rich vein of form as well. Fourth round at Indian How Wells. And now she's finding herself in the third round of uh, of Miami as well. Defeated Creek Minnan in uh, in the first round. Harmony Tan in the second. And now she'll take on Katarina Siniakova, which is a winnable match. But Siniakova defeated Emirata Kanu in the second. So we've got some great contests coming up this week and it's going to be so good to watch. But before we finish, and we have to get to it because it is our favourite segment, the Benoit of the Week, Joel, who are we awarding it to uh, for the possibly our last yeah our last show in March? Huh. Uh, well, I, I think it's got to be Ash Barty, doesn't it? Um, yep. yep, straight up. Congratulations, Ash. Uh, uh, relatively short, but wonderfully fulfilled career. Yep. There was, you know, Eager could have got it. Taylor could have got it. Rafa could have got it. A lot of people, Alcaraz could have got it. And geez, Brian I've, Adams I'd, could have got it. Yeah, Brian Adams <laughs> as well. Some interviews he's done during the week. He's uh, he's out of control, that man. Um, very dirty. Very dirty man too, um, which my immaturity just skyrocketed, didn't it? Um <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better stop the giggles. But, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, and uh, and congrats on the new digs. Very excited to see them finally, and maybe we can do a show from there one night. And uh, we haven't That's even done one from my place yet, actually, so maybe we can just take this show on the road and, uh, and and show everyone what it's all about and how we do it in the same room. But um, Zoom works pretty well. But thank you very much. Sounds good, mate. See you soon. Very excited for our next show. And uh, Joel Frucci and Val Ferro joining you as we do. Most weeks of the year. We're not every week like we used to be, but most weeks of the year talking all things tennis. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod. That's where you'll find some of our best content. We try anyway. Um, And also Facebook, Breakpoint Podcast. So find us on there. Subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you find your podcast from, we are there. Val Ferber and Joel Frucci. We'll catch you again soon.